human knee. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime and knee. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Criminy. I almost forgot what our show was called. We are your hosts, Matt and Ange, and we're going to tell you some stories, and we're both a little rusty, and we're sitting in hell right now. It's 108 degrees, so bear with us as we get through this. Just starting out the show to say we are going to go every other week just for the time being probably if you for haven't the, already noticed yeah just uh <laughs> probably for hopefully just for the summer because things have been uh, picking up for us in other areas in our life so a little bit less time to commit to this part-time job but we still want to bring you episodes so we're going to go to every other week so thank you for listening and we're gonna tell you some shit i go first i think so 55. Okay. 55. Remember when the internet was new? Remember fresh internet? When like stick figures dancing was like Oh my god, that was like the shit. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, those videos. Or like the cat. Yeah. It was just like a picture of a cat, but like moving. Hamster on a piano. Oh my god. Oh my god. (laughs) Now it just sucks. It's not as fun. (laughs) Now there's too much. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And everyone's trying to be an original cat on a piano. Talk closer to the mic. You're like, my voice carries. First of all, my voice carries. You're always like, be louder. And then I'm yelling. And then you're like all quiet. And then I sound like the crazy loud one. It's just because my voice is deeper, but you're talking farther away. You can still hear me, I'm sure. Okay. I project. Like well, project. She's um, projecting her snores this way. Yes. Uh, soothing sounds in the background <laughs> brought to you by Zephyr, the Pitbull extraordinaire. Uh, okay, so I got my information from the New York Post, Oxygen.com, Wikipedia, of course, mm. um, and the New York Times. Did I say the New York Times? No, I said the New York Post. Mm-hmm. My story is about Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. Okay. Okay. On February 16th, 1981, just a few days after Valentine's Day, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. In a dog kennel in Connecticut. Uh, not like a dog house. Like oh. a kennel where they're keeping dogs okay. for like not overnight. Not like actually People in the drop... kennel, but like at the, at the kennel. kennel. Okay. Where they're keeping dogs. Okay. You know. I'm glad that I had to clear that up. I knew I was going to have to. <laughs> Instantly confused? That's yes. a good start. Okay. They're in Connecticut at a dog kennel. Yeah. Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, who's 19 at the time. Fatally stabbed his <gasps> landlord, 40-year-old Alan Bono, with a five-inch pocket knife. Okay, see, when you say landlord and they're at the kennel, in the kennel, mm-hmm. I'm thinking he's, like, renting a kennel. Like he's a dog renting a kennel? Like he's renting a kennel. <laughs> <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. And it was reportedly the first murder in Brookfield, Connecticut in 193 years at the time. Fuck. What happened, Arnie? Wow, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, Arnie was arrested shortly after the murder, like hours. They found him like down the road. <sighs> this is awful. Okay. And he was brought to the Bridgeport Correctional Center in lieu of a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar bail. And he said he remembered nothing about what had happened. Ooh. Ooh, indeed. 
Arnie's attorney told Connecticut's Superior Court that his client should not be held culpable for the murder of Alan Bono because, you see, the killing was a result of demonic possession. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) This is just, like, so disrespectful for the person who was murdered to be like, oh, it wasn't his fault that he killed someone and stabbed them a bunch of times. Hmm. Not that they had, like, a dispute with their landlord and murdered them. More like, oh, it was possession, so it's not even his fault. I don't know. It's a pretty strong argument, I think. Let's hear about it. (laughs) This case quickly became known as the Devil Made Me Do It murder trial. Oh, because it's like the 80s and satanic panic. Satanic panic. panic. Yep. Devil's making all kinds of shit happen. The devil, like, showed up strong in the late 80s. Yep. And then he... Or early 80s. Like, it was, like, 70s, late 70s, early 80s. All this throughout the eighties. Like oh, the eighties were. This was nineteen eighty one. Listen, the devil was definitely present in the eighties. The fashion, the cocaine, the I devil. I mean, fun times though. Fun right? times, and then he just like disappears. He's like, all right, I had my fun. I fucked everyone over, and goodbye. Yeah, but he did provide us with the fanny pack and um, neon colors. Neon colors, yeah. So that's pretty cool. And shoulder uh, pads. Scrunchies. Scrunchies. Mm-hmm. And he that little, remember he that little thing that you would like tie your shirt off with so that <gasps> yeah. your belly, you should have your belly shirt, but it was like a little like yeah, buckle, little plastic, little plastic like, buckle thing yeah. for your weave. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. And leg warmers, so thank I you, do, Satan. <laughs> listen, I really love leg warmers. They actually do work. Well, you as well. a person that's cold all the time, even in 108 degree no, weather. No, 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 <laughs> above 80, I'm like dying. I just can't regulate well. It is hot, guys. Um, so we might be a little delirious this episode because I can barely even read my screen through my sweating eyeballs. Ew. <laughs> so let me invite you to my time machine. Yeah. And we will go back to before the murder took place. Let's get in and it. Let's see the devil make him do it. <laughs> let's meet the devil. <laughs> Bring him on out. Come on down, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going back to the summer of 1980, just a year before the murder. Arnie and his oh, girlfriend. Oh, I thought you said 88. This is no, 81. 81 was when it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, not even tracking at all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ooh, I just got lightheaded from like leaning forward. <laughs> yeah, it's so hot. It's so hot. Okay. Okay. So Arnie, 19, and his 26-year-old girlfriend, Debbie Glatzel. How do you feel about that? Red flag. Yeah. I feel it's a red flag. I don't like that so much. If it was reversed, it would be a red flag. This way, it's a red flag. Yeah, it's, it's a red just flag. Like Nineteen and a twenty-six-year-old have nothing. Should have nothing in common. If it's a man and a man, red flag. Well, Anyone woman, red with flag. that kind any of any gender and any gender, red flag. When you're nineteen, I mean, you know, yeah. if you're like seven years apart, but you're like thirty and forty, like that's different. Yeah, that's different. I just feel like when you're in your teens and you're dating anyone, like mid to whatever 20s it's uh... well i'm glad to tell you that this has nothing to do with the story and it doesn't seem to affect them in any way so that we know still of. right re- i'm still gonna judge i mean the devil did make him do it that's true so that's true okay so arnie and debbie lived with debbie's parents and her little brother david who was like nine some sorts of said like nine some sorts of said like 10 or 11 an accident maybe Baby. Oh, because of the age difference? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or maybe like... Empty nester baby. Zephyr, can you scratch your ears? She some? has an opinion. Mm-hmm. 
It made her ear itch. She was uncomfortable by it all. <laughs> As we all should be. Okay. Um, so they're at blah, blah, blah. Her little brother, David, is like nine. Arnie got along well with, with her family and was kind of like a big brother to David. And I guess Arnie's family also kind of lived in the neighborhood or something. That's so. a full house. This is a very full house. So David, the little brother, uh, started seeing things in his home. He often saw what he described as an old man with coarse, burnt-looking skin. Ew! <laughs> wearing a plaid shirt, a torn plaid shirt, and jeans. That was a creepy ghost. Yeah. One day while David was in his parents' room, like, playing on the waterbed, as all parents of the 70s and 80s had. Yes. Uh, he, uh, well, I don't know how you don't get seasick on those things, because... <laughs> Okay, that's because we have, like, the strong inner ear hairs that I get dizzy Firm when I, like, ear hairs. lift my head too quickly. <laughs> so that just literally just happened to me. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. It's so bad. It's, it gets worse. I can just, like, watch someone spin, and I feel nauseous. Yeah, it's like, disgusting. It's getting really bad. So, I don't know about those, but they I feel they're like I'd sit the on the waterbed, and I would get yeah. nauseous. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope they come equipped with barf bags. Anyway, David's playing on the bed when he said that he saw the old man appear and push him hard onto the waterbed, pointing a gross finger at him and said, Beware! Ew! <laughs> That's an aggressive ghost. I feel like usually they can't really, like, touch you. I don't think it's a ghost. I think it's, like, a real person. No, demon. Oh. <laughs> Duh. Come on, get with it. Soon after that, David began exhibiting other odd behaviors. He had night terrors often, and random markings like bruising and scratches would appear on his body. Ooh. Ooh-ooh. About two weeks after David started first exhibiting these behaviors, when there were no signs of them stopping, his parents, at the suggestion of a pastor at St. Joseph's Roman Catholic Church... Oh, thank God reached out to well-known paranormal investigator demonologists Lorraine and Ed Warren. You look at me I, like... Okay. What? <laughs> That's not what you would do? Your first response wouldn't be go find some demonologists? Why does... Uh, my question is, why does a priest hmm. know demonologists? Hello, exorcisms. So they are also Catholic? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Is there a school where I can learn and be trained as a demonologist? Uh, well, probably. You could. I mean, I don't know about a school, but uh, <laughs> if you didn't know, Lorraine and Ed were a Catholic married couple, Roman yeah. Catholic. Yeah. And they worked as a team investigating all kinds of paranormal things, but mostly like ghosts and exorcisms so and shit. So they're roaming around. Roaming around, looking, looking for at ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> They wrote books on hauntings, and they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. That's pretty cool. They claim to have investigated over 10,000 cases. Jesus Christ. Although, they didn't say that, like, I mean, they investigated 10,000 cases. That doesn't mean that 10,000 of them were, like, valid. Still, how many a year are they doing? Like, that's a lot of cases. Well... Because I feel like you can only do one at a time, right? Like, you can't be... 
I mean, double you know, booking yourself on. I mean, ghosts. sometimes I assume it's just like a walk around the house and it's like, this isn't. It's like, oh, saw it. Yeah. There it is. Documented. Done. done. Check that one off my list. Take the picture. We're going. Well, Ed was a self taught and self professed demonologist. Uh, so you could teach yourself how to be one, apparently. Okay. He was an author and a lecturer. And Lorraine was a professed clairvoyant and high trance medium. I just feel like this conflicts with Catholicism. No. Okay, so they hate witches, but yeah. these guys are okay? Because these guys were touched by God to see the demons and stuff, so they She's can banish the demons. She's clairvoyant, and that's fine? Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> this is a conflict. Look, she got approved. She I don't got, know how, that's she, what I'm saying. I don't know how she got she's approved. She's wearing her little... I don't know. Cross... <laughs> that's all you have to do get approved you just wear a little crucifix if you're good good it's like to no go. no it's okay i'm catholic it's look um, i'm wearing hello i wear this if i wasn't catholic <laughs> i think your skin would burn if you wore it and you weren't um they believed that dem- <laughs> it was like an arrested development when maybe wants to be christian she's like do you know where I can get that little necklace with the, the T, T on and it? The lowercase T. And he's T. like, oh, that's a cross. He's like, she's like, oh, a cross from where? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Where can I get one of those necklaces with the T? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That's so funny. <sighs> so they believe, they as well as apparently the Catholic Church believe that de- demonic forces are likely to possess non believers. See, I didn't know that. I thought you had to be a believer. Also, no. I thought priests like had to do exorcisms. They do. You'll see. They don't do exorcisms. They are there to observe and investigate and to be like you know, an exorcism needs to take place here. Oh yeah. Okay, because a priest doesn't want to waste his time. You know. No, they gotta check it in, make sure it's legit. Call right. up their priest buddies. Right, right. Come okay. on in. We gotta banish some demons. You know. So it's the non. Hurry up your lunch break. Let's go. We got demons. I mean, granted, Connecticut probably does have a lot of bad history, a lot of bad shit happening. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if there's going to be a demon, it's probably lurking in New England somewhere, you know? Yeah, sure. I don't know about that, but sure. Yeah. A lot of old history, you know? Yeah, a lot of genocide. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, there are a bunch of movies recently and kind of in the past that were made about Basically, Lorraine and Ed's work, work. I'm using work as in quotes. Work. Hey, it's they're hustling. Um, they're they like, are. They're making. Well, they were. They they were hustlers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard movies like Annabelle about yeah. the haunted doll. Yeah. That was their case. Oh. Um, Anim- Amityville Horror uh-huh. movie. They were the first to investigate the Amityville Horror. Oh. Horror. The Amityville Horror. House. Horror. Horror. <laughs> And or the else it's something else entirely. Horror, the Amityville Horror, <laughs> and the Conjuring movies. Uh-huh. There are like three of them now, and actually the most recent one that came out this year is about this case. Have you seen it? I tried to get through it. It was oh. just rough. Have you seen the other ones? Yeah. How are they? They're fun. Yeah. Like it's fun, but they're just a little. They're like Ed and Lorraine are just like really annoying to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm already annoyed by them. I don't really know anything about them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, they're kind of like, 
a bit off their rockers. I mean, they're not stupid. They definitely knew how to work it and sell a story because they profited a lot from all these stories. For sure. But, you know, some people still believe all this stuff, so I guess they did good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there are ghosts. Maybe there are ghosts. I'm not saying that they're not ghosts, but their stories are kind of bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was probably, like, one of those things where, like, a little something happened, and then they, like, blew it out of proportion or, like, added on all this detail to make it a sellable story. Not this guy, but a lot of times they deal with, like, children. Yeah. And kids are so easily influenced. And they'll do what they think that adult wants them to do. Yeah. Anyway, the Warrens go to the Glatzel house, and they had priests in tow. I like to imagine that at least one had the swinging incense ball on oh, a chain. you have to. As he walked up the stairs. You gotta have, like, your little holster with, like, your holy <laughs> water. water. You got your incense. Yeah, gotta have you the got Bible. You got your big cross, a little travel Bible. Maybe, like, an altar boy carrying that really, really, really heavy cross thing. Yeah, that would mm-hmm. be... that. You gotta make an entrance. Yeah. So, like, know your... So, the demon sees you, and it's like, oh, shit, I gotta go. They're coming. This is serious. Here they are, yeah. Yeah, you gotta have the ball. So thing. the Warrens obviously prepared for an exorcism for David, and um, okay, wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. He's arrested. This is before. Remember, we went back in time. Oh, the kid. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Back sorry. in time. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. In time. Okay, the kid. Okay, and so it was a little conflicting because it said that they had performed like like three exorcisms on this boy, and like that maybe one of them there were six priests involved, which seems oh, excessive. Oh, wasn't working. And then another one, they, they said that they performed it in the church with four priests and David. And I don't know. So I don't... I, a lot of priests were doing a lot of incense swinging and Well, maybe they're, like, canceling chanting. each other out. Maybe it's, it's too like, much. Yeah. You gotta let it settle. Yeah. Everyone has their, like, own way and it's just not working. So anyway, the, they're in the room. The priests are in the room with David and... Lorraine claimed that she saw black mist materialize next to David, which is apparently an indication of a malevolent presence. Like, duh. Yeah, black mist. <laughs> is she alone that saw it? Yeah. Uh. According, well, I think so. Well, she is. According to the sources I found. Yeah, yeah, so she sees shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I guess they, like, you know, came equipped with priests, which I guess if I were a priest, it would be, like, the cool thing to do, go banishing Dude. ghosts. Oh, sorry, I got to cancel boring-ass mass today. I I've go. got an exorcism to perform. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting in that car immediately. Yeah. Except for the, you know, potentially traumatizing the child that you're like... Come on, you're a priest. You really care about traumatizing children? That's true. You're probably doing it anyway. Mm. Anyway. Duh. So Debbie and her parents tell the Warrens that they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands and that there were red marks on his neck afterwards. That, that is a red flag. <laughs> yeah, of demons. Okay. And they said that sometimes the invisible entity would flop him rapidly, head to toe like a rag doll. <laughs> Who's saying this? Me like that? Debbie and her parents. They were like, because they were like telling, you know, Lorraine and Ed are I there with the priests, and they're like, tell us what's been happening, and yeah. the priests are like. What is it like? Jesus, bless you. Yeah. T- get away, demons. And then right. they're like, so tell me what happened. Yeah, I don't like any of this. <laughs> they said that each night a family member would sit with him through convulsions and spasming with intermittent growling, hissing, and speaking in otherworldly voices. 
as well as reciting passages from the Bible. Yeah, I just don't feel like a demon would be doing that, <laughs> right? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> what demons do you know are reading the Bible and memorizing well, it? Well, it's to taunt you. They use things as... It's so you know, rude. Very rude. Very rude. <laughs> what? <laughs> Looks like demons to have manners. <laughs> After receiving the prognosis of multiple possessions from the Warrens, David was subjected to three lesser exorcisms, like I said. One uh-huh. might have been in a church. Oh, okay. Lorraine claimed that David levitated, stopped breathing for a time, and even foresaw the future where Arnie killed Alan. I don't know what he said, but she said he said something. Yeah. She said he said, the demon right. said... Right. Something. Right. <laughs> and they said that his face contorted into a snarl, and they could only see the whites of his eyes, and then Ew. hideous laughter emanated out of him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. David's mother, Judy, and the Warrens said they saw plates levitate, rocking chairs flew through the air, and, in my opinion, the best part, yeah. a toy dinosaur walked around. <laughs> oh, that's cute and fun. Uh, Ed and Lorraine demanded that the demons speak their names, and apparently 43 names were listed, so there were 43 demons in that boy. What the hell? I just... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a bit of a buzzkill, but apparently Father Nicholas Graco of the Diocese of Bridgeport said that while the situation with David and the Gratzels was investigated by the church, no exorcisms were performed because the family would not submit David to the necessary psychological tests beforehand. But Ed and Lorraine said that they have video evidence that it happened. Weird. Well, okay. A few things. Like, I feel like the Catholic Church would want to distance themselves from something like that. Also, what is the psychological testing like? That's what I, want I would to like know. to know. <laughs> yeah. And who's performing it? Probably the priest. priest. Yeah, 100%. Uh, with no training in psychology to see if they can withstand. They're like, if they're like if they're psychologically, psychologically testing the demons because the demon the is like is, possessing the kid. Or if the kid is like psychologically sound enough to withstand right. an exorcism. But also. So the thing I don't get about exorcisms is I feel like they're just like, you know, they like yell things over the kid and like spray <laughs> yeah. them with water yeah. and whatever. Yeah. It'd be scary, I'm sure, but like, I don't, I just don't get it, I guess. Well, I mean, I in my opinion, and yeah. maybe I'm wrong and demons are real, it's usually a mental illness that's happening. So being shouted at and sprayed with yeah. water and like all this stuff is probably triggering and like... Creating all well, kinds of reactions. for sure. Yeah. So, but um, Ed claims that he contacted the police department that October to tell them that they were working with clergy in the house and that they, uh, they claimed to be, oh, in a house that he claimed to be a demonic lair and that there were some, there was some potential for violent acts. We wanted to let the police know, like, hey, we're performing an exorcism. It might okay, go bad. So you're just a be police on, like, officer alert. who gets that call. <laughs> what do you say? Okay, prank call. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. I'm sorry. If there's violence and, like, screaming coming from your house and I hear about it, I'm, like, coming in. Yep. According to Lorraine, during the exorcisms, 
Arnie challenged the demons and sacrificed himself to save David. She said, Johnson, Arnie, leapt up and cried to the demon, Come into me, I'll fight you, come into me. He, 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 uh, he, he. He told the demon to come into him multiple times. You mean the 35 demons? Uh, 43. Oh, shit. <laughs> and according to others that were present, they said they saw Arnie being attacked by a demon and that days later the demon took control of his car and crashed it into a tree. While he was in it or no? Yes. Okay. Fortunately... It seemed that the demon that possessed him did not know how to operate a motor vehicle and was not trying to kill him because he wasn't dead. He wasn't even harmed, but his car was a little fucked up. So maybe he just wanted to... What is happening in this take family? Take car for a ride. I don't understand. So at some point during this, Arnie and Debbie were like, maybe we should get out of this house. So they like rented a, an apartment from okay. Alan Bono near the kennel, the dog kennel. Okay. So he... So he takes possession of the demon. Apparently. The demon takes possession of him. Right. Kay. But he's like, come on in. Come on the water's down. Fine. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the demon leaves the little boy? Well. No. It just goes back and forth between everyone. Well, there's 43 of them, so That's I'm true. sure like That's it's true. enough for both. Okay. Enough to go around. So he like went back to his rental property, and he wasn't... Okay, so this is really weird. He goes back to his property, and he goes to this old well on the property, and he wasn't looking for water, but he was looking for a demon who apparently lived in that well. Okay, I feel like someone left some bread out in that family, and it got some mold on it, and they're all, like, tripping balls, because none of this makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, So Arnie... I guess Arnie had been, like, being, like... He felt like he... He was normal, and then he'd be, like, attacked by a demon, and then, like, with the car, and then he was, like, fine, and then, like, he was, like, at a well, and he saw the demon in the well, and then the demon and... What the fuck? Yeah, then the demon and him looked into each other's eyes, which is kind of romantic. Demons have eyes? Apparently this one did. Okay. And, uh, you know, while locking eyes, maybe he tossed a penny or two in to make a wish... Can you? Are you? I don't think you're supposed to throw pennies. I in a would well. not throw pennies in a drinking well. <laughs> yeah, that would be gross. I mean, probably bad for the water, and you might choke on it. Well, copper is like antibacterial. Well, are they actually copper anymore? No, they're like copper coated. I so, think. So yeah, probably not great. I think they're nickel now. So no one throw pennies in wells unless it says wishing well. That's right. Oh, wishing well. Yeah, that's such a good story. Um, okay, so they locked eyes, and then Arnie became possessed with the demon. Well, don't look at it. It's gonna get in you. (laughs) See, and then during this time, David's condition kind of worsened a little bit as time went on, so they're both possessed, apparently. And, like I said, during this time, uh, they got that rental property, and Debbie was hired to work at the dog kennel for Alan Bono. And, uh... Arnie started exhibiting more odd behaviors. Some of the things he was doing was similar to David. Debbie said that Arnie would sometimes go into a trance-like state and growl, <laughs> and he would hallucinate, and he would say he wa- he saw the beast, and then not remember any of it. 
Yeah, there's definitely some, like, mold happening or, like, some kind of herbal tea that they're all <laughs> drinking. Something. Someone's been throwing pennies in that wishing well. Someone's not eating the wrong the kind of mushrooms. Well. I don't know what's going on, but this is bizarre. Right? So back to February 16th, 1981. Arnie called in sick to work for, like, the third day in a row. Nope. And he decided that he was going to join Debbie at the dog kennel where she worked with his 15-year-old sister, Wanda, and Debbie's 9-year-old cousin, Mary. Don't be getting more people involved. <laughs> well, he's just like, I, I can't go to work today because he worked for, like, a tree trimming service. Look, with all so the he's demons like, and all the people already involved, I can't. Well, maybe I he thought, you know, I, I'd rather just be around some nice pups and dogs, pet some dogs, instead of, like, holding an axe and chopping down trees. Okay. A little bit safer, maybe. Maybe. So Alan, the landlord boss, took them all out for lunch at a local bar where that's he very nice. proceeded to drink heavily. Oh, that's not so nice. After lunch, they all went back to the kennel. Alan was drunk and agitated for some reason, and Debbie was like, uh, Yeah, because he's at lunch with weird people who are, like, <laughs> pretending to be possessed and shit. Well, two, I would be agitated, too. Two of them too. are children. I'd be like, I need a fucking drink. This yeah, is insane. Probably. And so Debbie was like, let's get out of here because he's kind of getting weird. Oh, he might have a demon, too. He might. We don't know. So she tried to usher out the two young girls yeah. when, out of nowhere, Alan grabbed Mary's wrist, Mary, the nine-year-old cousin, and refused to let go of her. Uh-oh. And then when Arnie saw this, he told Alan to let Mary go, and he did. And then Mary ran to the car, and Debbie went to break up the tension between Alan and Arnie. Ooh. And Wanda tried to pull Arnie to the car, but Arnie began to growl like an animal. Oh, my God. And then he pulled a five-inch pocket knife out and jumped on Alan, stabbing him repeatedly, leaving four or five tremendous wounds, one going from the bottom of his heart to his stomach. Oh, my God. With a pocket knife? Yep. Fucking A. Yeah. The day after the murder, Lorraine informed the Brookfield police that Arnie was possessed at the time of the crime. After this, the media went Because he growled nuts. and barked. I don't even... I mean, she didn't even see it. She wasn't even there. She just called them up and was like, he was totally possessed. And then the media was like, oh, shit. And then the Warrens, the Warrens agents promised lectures, a book, and even a movie detailing the case were already in the works. Oh, my God. That's so predatory. Uh-huh. Arnie's lawyer, 33-year-old Martin Minella, got calls from all over the world about the demon murder trial. He even planned to fly in an exorcism specialist from Europe, and he threatened to subpoena the priests involved in David's exorcism if they didn't come forward to testify. Okay. Martin told the Post before the trial that the stab wounds inflicted on Alan were far too deep to have been done by human hands. Come on! <laughs> also, he said that he planned to bring religion directly into the courtroom. Good. He said... We're gonna put religion on trial. Yeah, he said the courts have dealt with the existence of God, and now they'll be asked to deal with the existence of the demonic spirit. Okay, I'm all for putting religion on trial, but not in that way. <laughs> Apparently, the Gatzels had watched The Exorcist on TV before David started exhibiting these I was going to say, look, I was going to say, this sounds like something that he saw somewhere, uh -huh. he witnessed, and he's just, like, Acting imitating yep. what he saw, 
But and then I was like, did they even have, like, I didn't even know when The, the Exorcist Exor- yep. came out, so I wasn't the sure. The Exorcist but... came out in the 70s, and yeah. apparently the family, the Glatzel family, had attended one of the Warrens' lectures before David claimed to have demonic visions. With their child? I think the whole family went to a nice, lovely, demonic no. possession lecture. No. Kids are so easily influenced. So, um, David said that he saw the beast go into Arnie's body and that it was mm. the beast who killed Alan. And he was not trying to protect him. him. Yeah. Trial started October 28th of 1981. Martin, the lawyer, tried to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of demonic possession. Is that even a plea? Well, the judge was like, for real? Yeah, no. <laughs> and he was like, nope, that's not a real plea. Okay. He said that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to lack of evidence and that it yeah. would be irrelative irre- and unscientific to allow related testimony. Yes. So that kind of ruined their whole defense. Yeah. So then Martin was like, ah, we'll go with self-defense. Wow. Which, like, I mean, you'd think you would go for instead of demonic possession. Uh-huh. Seems like you could prove that a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the trial took place over three weeks, and the jury wasn't allowed to take demonic possession into consideration. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, duh. Arnie said that he couldn't remember what happened the day of the murder. He had no prior criminal record, although he's like 19, so, you know, plenty of time to get one. Yeah. And the only witnesses to the killing was Debbie and his little sister and her cousin. Or her cousin was by the car, so she didn't even see it, but she was there. So what do you think's going on with him? I don't know. Uh. That's what I want to know. That's what I'm asking you. Oh. The jury deliberated deliberated for 15 hours over three days before wow. they convicted Arnie Cheyenne Johnson of first-degree manslaughter. Oh. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years... But got out after five years on good behavior. Wow. And while in prison, Arnie and Debbie got married. Wow. Mm-hmm. Debbie, what? Debbie, she loved him. Ed Warren said, possession doesn't last 24 hours a day. It comes quickly and leaves quickly. Arnie understands what happened to him. Now he knows, or he now knows if something happens, how to ward it off. I and thought he, people could be possessed for like a long time. He's just making excuses. Okay. He said he won't be stupid enough to take on the devil again. You don't have a... I mean, he kind of, you know, he asked had a choice. What, he's like, come in me, come in me, devil. But, and the devil's like, woo! <laughs> you sound fun. Party time. <laughs> okay. After this, Lorraine wrote a book about the possessions called Devil in Connecticut. She was, like, already writing it uh-huh. before it even happened. Yep. She handed out scripts and stuff. Yeah. She said that she shared the profits with the Glatzel family, and a source confirms that she gave them $2,000 once. No, that's not enough. Which, I don't know how well the book did, but that seems a little light. That seems way low. And don't you think that she'd have to have them, like, sign something? Like, that's their Well, so it's kind of back and forth because the family says they didn't sign anything, Mm -hmm. and then they say that they did. The Warrens are like, yeah, you did, and, like, we have all this stuff. And they said Mm. they even have 100 hours of recorded... Um, interviews with the family where they like make, where they were like, all right, we're doing this, but no one's uh, seen those tapes. Uh, 
In two thousand, yeah, I don't trust them. Yeah, in two thousand six, the book was republished, and David and his brother Carl sued the authors and publisher for violating their right to privacy, yeah. libel, and intentional affliction of emotional distress. Yeah. Carl claimed the possession story was a hoax concocted by Lorraine and Ed to exploit his family and his brother's undiagnosed schizophrenia, and that the book presented Carl as a villain because he did not believe their supernatural claims, and he refused to participate in their stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking there was something going on. Uh Yeah. Carl says the Warrens told his family the story would make them millionaires and would help keep Arnie out of prison. Because of this, Carl says he had to drop out of school and he lost friends and business opportunities because people were like, you're involved in that shit? Yeah. Arnie and Debbie fully believe still that the possession happened. And they say the Glatzel family are just suing because they want money. Yeah, I mean, they deserve money, though. If If those people are making money off of their tragic story... Yeah. They should get the money for it. Yeah, it's... uh... Or the dude that they murdered. Usually, if you, like, murder someone and you, like, write a book about it, then that that person gets the money. Well, you can if you're dead. You mean the family? Yeah, the family. Like, you can't profit off of your own crimes. Well, I don't know when that law was put into practice. Hmm. But that case was dismissed, so they didn't make any money off of that. Hmm. Lorraine said, it wasn't just Ed and I, the cream of the Catholic Church, which, like, gross, gross. Very <laughs> gross. was involved, and there was tremendous documentation, including 100 hours of recorded interviews of those involved, which would have been kind of more convincing if they had caught the levitating and the demonic voices on tape instead of the interviews. I mean, not even but the voices, though, but, like, the flying dishes and rocking Anything chairs. that's like, well, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> Also, the kid stopped breathing. Like, he can hold his breath. I don't know. It's like, okay. She said that accusations that her and her husband would go so far as to manipulate a family for profit was upsetting. Well, I mean, if he did have some kind of undiagnosed mental illness, and then he's seeing, like, he's living in this environment where there's this kid who's like, oh, it's, like, demonic possession, then maybe he's convinced of it, like, if he has some kind of imbalance, and then maybe he really does think he's possessed, you know? But really, it's just, like, something else coming to the surface. But it's, like, David said that he, that, like, he's, like, none of that was real, it was all made up, and then, like, his sister and Arnie were, like, no, it was totally real, but also he did get accused of, or he did murder someone, so it's more yeah. in their benefit to say, I didn't do it, it was the devil. Right. Oh. So what do you, I mean... But then, like, to... I understand it's, like, upsetting if, like, some drunk guy, like, grabs your cousin or whatever she was. Like, I understand that's upsetting. Yeah. But then to, like, stab him... Yeah. After he lets her go, that just feels like a very extreme response. Yeah, something was going on. Something's going on. Right? Like, it's weird. Like, either they had some kind of altercation beforehand that, like, he was already in a rage about this guy. Yeah. Or he... And he just kind of, like, took the story and ran with it as, like, a well, I'll just say this because, obviously, look at their... They, they had priests come to exercise this guy so like maybe yeah. we i can just use a little bit of that for an excuse but i yeah i don't understand how if if david 
actually had undiagnosed schizophrenia and he's a child and he just watched the exorcist and he just went to a talk where lorraine and ed talked about demon possessions like unless like i just don't understand how i feel like the i feel like the kid is just like being a kid and he saw something on tv he wanted some attention he like was like oh that's cool i'm gonna do that and then the more he did it the more he got stuck into it because then his family's like oh my god like you're possessed and then he's like oh shit like you know it's just really easy when you're a kid and you're living in like an imaginative world all the time it's just really easy to get like really wrapped up in that but then the other dude like i feel like I don't know. I feel like he had to have some, like, undiagnosed something going on. That's what I'm wondering, because, like, how do you just go from, like, oh, we're having lunch, and I'm renting from you, and my girlfriend works at your kennel, and, like, it seems like a really small kind of town vibe, and there weren't any murder, like, you know, just kind of like a chill, quiet, sleepy town. Well, and he's, like, 18, 19, that's around the time that it would, like, hit. Well, that's what I'm wondering about David, because he's so young. That's that's really young for, like, schizophrenia to show. I mean, it can it happen, for happen. sure. I, I think that he was just doing it because at first maybe he thought it was funny or cool or whatever, and then it got, like, out of hand. Yeah. And when you're a little kid and you're having, like, three exorcisms, how are you going to go up to your parents and be like, <laughs> just hey, kidding. I was just kidding, and then they're going to be like, uh, that's either, the devil what talking. The or, yeah, or, no, you're not. Like, there's something wrong with like, you. Like, obviously you know? it's working because the devil doesn't want us to yeah. keep doing it, so we'll do it more. Yeah. So I... I personally think that the kid was just being a kid, and then he got, like, got way out of hand, because he's just a kid. He doesn't know how to handle that kind of situation. Yeah. And then I think Arnie, I think he maybe had some undiagnosed something happening, and then being in that environment, that's just, like, it it just seems hectic and crazy, and crazy making, and then that's your norm, is to go into, like, that house all the time with this kid who's, like like having these like demonic experiences and then he's seeing demons all of a sudden like i feel like that could be like a schizophrenic thing yeah like i mean uh, like yeah, there are you other can't, obviously you can't illnesses. diagnose anyone from right like, just... and there are other illnesses where you like hallucinate or you um, sure or like you said if you or... or you just had there's mold in your apartment your new yeah. apartment or whatever yeah. and you're some, having a weird reaction. Or you're, or, like, super stressed and you just have some kind of break, you know? Like, it just... Yeah. yeah. I feel like something happened. I feel like there's something going on with him. Yeah, because... To just, like, murder someone. Yeah. yeah I mean, people do it, like, all the time, exactly. for sure, but... And, um, I mean, we don't necessarily know. I mean, he could have... It could have... He could not have any mental illness. He could have yeah. just been, like... He felt threatened when... Alan grabbed the little girl and I mean I don't know what exactly went on at that time like right. it could have happened before you know or maybe he he could have gotten handsy with the girls before right, and they like told him like knock it off maybe, or something and then but... he's drunk and he's like not cause I don't know if he just like immediately released her when Arnie was like let her go or if it was like no like whatever and then it was like a battle and then finally like so he built up this rage and was like you better let her go like i'm trying to protect my cousin or whoever's cousin it was and yeah then, but then to say like a guy like it couldn't have been like a human well, strength or whatever like i just feel like people are so much stronger especially a 19 year old boy yeah who's like just finding his strength yeah yeah i just and if you really did think that like he was taking advantage of like a little girl i mean I could see the rage in that, like, you don't fucking touch little girls, I'm gonna kill you. I mean, yeah. maybe I've, to- I've told you numerous times to stop, I mean, why, does- why do two little girls work in his kennel anyway? 
I thought that he. I thought that Arnie brought them just to, like visit. No, they were working there. Oh. Or they were helping out. I don't know if they were volunteering well, yeah, or what. yeah, they could, like, volunteer because you're Maybe help them, like, walk dogs or yeah. something. And, I mean, it could be normal, or and I don't want to... Like, wanna, a summer job I'm not whatever. trying to, like, villain, villainize Alan. Yeah, we don't know what the... Alan. Yeah, we don't know anything about him. All I know is that he got on. drunk and grabbed, you know, a little girl. Yeah. So, which is never a good thing. Oh, it's not good. Let's just keep our hands to ourselves, everyone. Let's just... Let our demons chill out. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components, the person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong, and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind, they're all kinds of mixed up, there's no focus, they're disorganized. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I don't know, I don't know what Arnie was. I know. That's what like it kind of threw me for a loop. And part of it, it's hard to it's hard to sift through this story because so much of it, I think, is a lot of like Lorraine and Ed making up fantastical stories and trying yeah, but to Arnie profit. And the other one, at the end of the day, they're like, "Oh no, he was possessed." Yeah. Like but, they believe it. But if that's your defense, and you don't want to believe that, like your husband, yeah, your but... now husband, murdered someone in cold blood. Still, though, And like, you're good Catholics. Mm. You're more apt to believe that stuff. Well, clearly, her she and her family were into, like, yeah. dem- demons and stuff. Well, like, the, clearly they this believed whole, I guess it's a very, it. like, Roman Catholic town. A lot of people there are, like, very Catholic. And um, the Warrens lived, like, a, a town over or something. And so they were, like, well-known. So do you think that he... Do you think that he doesn't necessarily believe it but he's just kind of like oh this is my out and like since my partner believes it i might as well just like i can't tell her i mean honestly at this point i think it could go either way i think he could just be like like david kind of going with the story and like well can't back out now i've already committed and said a demon possessed me if i say no now then people are going to call me a liar and a murderer yeah can't be that and be catholic (laughs) wow uh, yeah, well, yeah, and then the fact that he was, like, living in their house where all this was taking place, and that he probably believed it, too. I mean, when you're that young, and your world is, like, your girlfriend and her family, mm-hmm. also, how was he living there when they weren't married? But, that's another... That is a They probably had separate call. rooms or whatever, but... Yeah, I just feel like you would get really wrapped up in it. Like, if I was 19, living in a house where people were, like cuckoo bananas i feel like i would be like all wrapped up in it too because that's like that's your whole social circle that's your whole world like that's your girlfriend that's her family like that's your family now too yeah like where else are you going to hang out you're probably like spending all your time there well yeah because i'm not sure i didn't really read much about his family or anything and i'm like you're 19 and you're living at your girlfriend's family's house so something must have been going on at your house because that's kind of yeah a little strange i mean it happens yeah. But, like... But especially if they're, like, uber-Catholic. And especially when really... she's 26 and he's 19. What the hell? Oh, I forgot about that. See, that... That... 
bothers me too because I feel like that does play into it where it's like okay this 26 year old woman is like after this 19 year old clearly he's being influenced by her and yeah ways and now he's like living at her family's house yeah like who knows did she pick him because he's someone who's like easily influenced because I mean, he could like 19, get wrapped are, up in it yeah. all because you are because you're younger yeah. and you're naive and you know that's just how it is but yeah Oh, I forgot she was, like, so much older. I know. When I read that, I was like, what? what? See, I feel like that plays into it, too. Like, I feel like he... Yeah, I think that the two young boys got really wrapped up in whatever, like, fantasy was happening mm-hmm. in that house. And by the end of it, they couldn't be like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> that was fun. Wow. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. But uh, he got manslaughter. And they got married. And they got married while he See, was See, that also bothers me. That they got married? Yeah. Because then I feel like it's her being like, I just feel like it's predatory. I just feel like it's her being like, I believe you. Like, I'll stand by you. Like, let's get married. And then he's like, like well, now I really can't say it yeah. didn't happen. Because now. Well, and <laughs> also then it's like, okay, well, she believes in me and nobody else is going to believe in me. Everyone else is going to think that I did it. So now I like kind of have to marry her because I don't have, you know, she's yep. like standing by me. Yep. And at this point, like in our small town, everyone knows what everyone I did. Knows. There's no way that like I'm going to find anyone else to accept me. Oh. Yeah. That's icky. I don't like any of that at all. Mm-mm. I don't know. Isn't that crazy, though, that it was the first murder in, like, a hundred, almost 200 years? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And it was this? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, what? Small towns. It's crazy. Crazy. A lot of demons in small towns, apparently. Especially on the East Coast. Got a lot of demons. They Gotta do. exercise those demons. Jazzercise those demons is it's what the I 80s. say. It's the 80s. Yeah. Mouser size those demons, uh, everyone. size was a great VHS that Angela and I had. Sweatbands. It was Mickey Mouse leggings. doing Jazzercise. Leggings and oversized shirts. Ugh. And Mickey Mouse. God. Remember me really get down to some mouser sizing. Pull out our little mats. Yeah, that was a cool video. It was I bet it was still I bet it's still at mom and dad's. I don't know. But I would not trust I that VHS would not, player. It would eat it. It would eat it up. We'd never see it again. That VCR ate the Little Mermaid. Mm-mm-mm. Son of a bitch. Never trust it. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. On that note. On that note. If after you jazzercise or mousercise, you're kind of sweaty and gross and you need to take a nice shower or a lovely bath, check out humblebeherbal.com. They have all kinds of really nice soaps. They're made of all natural palm-free oils and they use essential oils and they're really, really nice. They got really soft leather. Check them out. No animal fats. Most of them are vegan. Some have like coconut milk some have goat's milk some have regular milk but they're all really good natural all environmentally friendly packaging and product so go check them out at humblebeherbal.com use code criminy20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order that's humblebeherbal.com Okay, are we ready for this one? We better be. So I got my information from PBS uh, thoughtco.com 
and when I was writing this, this was more timely than it is now, and I'm really sorry for all you Chinese speakers because I'm going to butcher some of these names, I'm sure. I uh. feel bad, but here we go. I'm going to talk about the Tiananmen Square massacre. Oh, shit. That happened. Okay, just way to so bring it way down. Know what was going on there and the fact that China, like, will not acknowledge that it happened and doesn't want to talk about it. So I thought, I was kind of like, what did happen? You know, we all mm -hmm. know the tank man picture, but yeah. what was really going on behind there? So I'm going to give you, like, a little bit of history of what led up to it and then okay. what happened and then a little bit after. By the 1980s, again. Oh. Demonic possession was running rampant throughout America. And China. And China. <laughs> oh, jeez. The leaders of China's Communist Party knew that Maoism had failed. So Mao Zedong's policy of rapid industrialization and collecting, like, all the land and the Great Leap Forward, as he called it, had killed tens of millions of people through starvation. So he was just trying to, like, rapidly make industry in china mm -hmm. okay so we got up all the land and was just trying to make like industrialize it so it could compete okay. you know with yeah. um the united states and like the western world china in the 1960 late 60s to 76 they were there was kind of like a cultural revolution that happened mm -hmm. and it was just like a lot of um violence and anarchy and fear and destruction and they had like these soldiers that they called the Red Guards, and they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. And the teenagers would like murder hundreds of thousands or even millions of their like fellow teenagers. What? And they would like torture them. And, it, and then some of them would like, cannibalize them. And it was just like this really horrible what? time in their history. And they destroyed like a lot of cultural heirlooms and traditional Chinese arts and religions were like pretty much extinguished and China's leadership knew that they had to make changes in order to remain in power but they were kind of like what do we do were these so, red guards just like rogues like no they're part of this like cultural revolution so there's like the communist party I don't know if they're part of the communist party or if they're part of like a different party I don't know but there's just mm. like revolution happening in China um, and then in the 1980s like so many people had died from starvation and so the communist party leaders split between those who were like okay we need to have drastic reform mm -hmm. and we need to move more towards capitalism and more personal freedoms for mm -hmm. chinese citizens and then there were those who favored more like taking command of the economy and then like having strict control over the population okay. so you have like these two sides which i mean Capitalism's not really working here, so it's kind of like, what do you do? No, it's like the the lesser of two evils, but is it really, you know? Yeah, yeah. So then, um, with the leadership kind of not really sure where to go, the Chinese people were kind of in between. So they were like fearing an authoritarian state, and they like wanted to speak out for reform because they're right. like, we want more personal freedom. We, you know, we need to like. We just, like, were killed by, like, the millions, and we need to, like, figure this shit out. Hugh Yao Bong was a reformist, 
and he served as a general secretary of the Communist Party of China from 1980 to 1987. He wanted to rehabilitate the people persecuted during the Cultural Revolution. He wanted greater autonomy for Tibet, um, rapprochement with Japan, and social and economic reform. Hmm. As a result, he was forced out of office by the hardliners in January 1987 and made... He like they made him give this humiliating public speech about like it was like really self critical for his like bourgeois ideas, hmm. which awful. Yeah. And then one of the charges that they they leveled against Hugh was that he had encouraged or at least allowed widespread student protests in the late nineteen sixties. 1986 mm-hmm. as general secretary he refused to crack down on such protests because he thought that that if people wanted to like speak their mind then that should be allowed yeah that the government should be like okay well go ahead like yeah. let's hear what you have to say and then on april 15th of 1989 Yao bong died of a heart attack oh man so he's like ousted and then a couple years later he dies so official media made just a brief mention of his death and the government at first didn't plan on giving him a state funeral. So in reaction, tens of thousands of university students from across Beijing marched on Tiananmen Square, which was the nation's symbolic central space. Hmm. They were so they at first like the protest, you know, like how we if we protest here you need to get permission to, to like be on the property, yeah. like all that stuff. So they had like permitted um, slogans that they were allowed to shout. So they were like shouting those slogans and they were calling for the rehabilitation of Hugh's repu- reputation. On April 17th, 1989 is when like they first started this protest. Okay. So Hugh had been a symbol for them of anti-corruption and political reform. Yeah. So in his name, the students call for press freedom and other reforms. They mm-hmm. liked what he had to say, and really what he was saying wasn't that unreasonable, right? Uh, yeah. Like, give Tibet their own, let them do their own deal, like, let's let people talk and have their own opinions. Let's try and make a better country for yeah. everyone and have everyone matter. So April 18th to the 21st, the government decided that they were going to they were gonna like okay this state funeral after all because all these people are protesting they're like fine we hear you we're gonna do it mm-hmm. but government officials on april 19th refused to receive a delegation of student petitioners who patiently waited to speak with someone for three days at the great Whoa. hall of the people that is some patient waiting yeah so Jesus. they're waiting for three days and they don't they're like oh no actually we're not gonna like listen to you speak Wow. Which was the government's first big mistake. Wow. So demonstrations escalated. All they wanted to do was be like, hey, we have like this petition. We want to just speak with someone. Yeah. And they're like, no. So in Beijing, it gets kind of like crazy. And then other cities and universities start like seeing what's going on and being like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. So workers and officials join in with complaints about inflation, salaries, and housing. Party leaders fear the demonstrations might lead to chaos and rebellion. <sighs> so one group led by Premier Lee... I hate that. Rebellion. Aww. Like, no, bitch, we're just trying to get, like, human rights and, like... Who cares if you're rebelling? We're trying to yeah. speak out for ourselves. This isn't just, like, a machine. We're human beings. Yep. So, Premier Li Peng, second ranking in the party hierarchy, suspected, so this is like 
quotes what he suspected. Mm. Black hands of bourgeois liberal elements oh, are geez. working behind the scene to undermine the government. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just like, oh, we're just individuals, we're students, we're workers, we're tired of the way things are, inflation's out of control, like... Can't you see where we're coming from? And they're like, oh, this is all like a I hate when big they use conspiracy. Liberal, when they use liberal like an insult. It's like, so we, yeah. so you're saying that like human rights and rights, like everyone is equal and, you know, no one should be allowed to be. Those are radical ideas. That, that's so dumb. Like, that's so dumb that those are radical ideas. Like, that is just common sense. And people are like, so like offended, like, oh, liberal. And it's like, yeah, I'm proud to be a liberal because yeah. I actually think that people well, matter. It's all, it's all just, um, it's all just propaganda. It's all a way to like make people associate certain things with certain words yeah. so that it gets people like angry about these things when they don't even know what it means. Yeah. Like they don't understand. Yep. So a minority faction led by party general secretary Zhao Ziyong Zheyong Zhao Ziyong believed that the student mainstream is good mm-hmm. and that their patriotism should be affirmed. Mm-hmm. So he said, although any inappropriate methods of action should be pointed out to them. So he's like, we can just tell them, you know, this is the best way to get through to us. Like, let's listen to what they have to say. Yeah, like you have to get a, like you said, like if you're going to protest here, you have to get a permit. Here's how you get a permit. You do this, do it the right way, and then you can do it. Yep. But then Lee, who was like, you know, oh, mm-hmm. there are other people at work. Liberals. Where, he argued that the protests should be nipped in the bud. Mm-hmm. And so... Zhao convinced them to wait, though. He said, our main task right now is not to, right now is to be sure that the memorial service for Comrade Yao Bong goes off smoothly. Mm-hmm. He's like, let's just wait and see what happens. Like, let's be chill. So Hugh's subdued memorial service took place on April 22nd and was greeted by huge student demonstrations involving about 100,000 people. Wow. Hardliners within the government were extremely uneasy about the protests, but... General Secretary Zhao believed that the students would disperse once the funeral was done. He was so confident that he took a week-long trip to North Korea for a summit meeting. Huh, going to North Korea, are you? Well, that's a good place to uh, brainwash yourself even further. Well, he's the one He's the one who was like, you know, let's listen to the students. Like, it's a good thing that they're voicing their opinions. Yeah, but why are you going to North Korea? Well, there was some kind of summit meeting happening, some kind of government meeting. Ugh. So three students carried a petition of demands up the steps of the Great Hall and insist on a meeting with Lee Pung. Mm-hmm. He didn't respond. The students were enraged that the government had refused to receive their petition, and they... They were upset because the government wasn't responding at all to their protests. There's like nothing happening. Because they're like, we're doing it the way you want us to do it. And you're not Here's our things. Yeah. You need to accept our petition and you're being like, nope, la la la, can't hear you. La 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 la, can't hear you. So even though the government did cave to their demand to have a proper funeral, Mm -hmm. they kept protesting and their slogans got like further and further away from what was approved. Mm. Because I think they're kind of like... They're like, okay, well, we got a little, but if we keep going, then we can get more. They'll actually have to listen to us. So over the next days, the students boycotted classes and organized in unofficial student unions, Mm. which was an illegal act in China. Ah, can't unionize? No. On April 25th, with Zhao out of the country, 
Hardliners in the government, like Lee, took the opportunity to get powerful leader of the party elders, Deng Xiaoping, I think. Deng was known as a reformer himself, supportive of market reforms and greater openness, but the hardliners exaggerated the threat posed by the students. Of course. So Lee even told Deng that the protesters were hostile to him personally and were calling for him to be, like, outed out of the government, and they were calling for the downfall of the communist government. This sounds like it's a bunch... It sounds like little toddlers tattletailing. Yeah, it is. Like, wah, 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 these people want rights. I heard that the protesters hate you, and they want you out of the government. You know what? These people are a bunch of jerks. Okay, yeah, Lee is just, like, a real dick. Okay. So, clearly worried, Dung decided to denounce the demonstrations in an editorial that was published in April 26th in the People's Daily. Well, that's not going to go well. He decided that the party had been tolerant and restrained, but the time had come for action. Bullshit. He called the protest... This is all, like, based off of what this other dude is telling him, uh-huh. too. At first, yeah. he was like... No, so, like, no one does like, any whatever. research. They're just like, no, the liberals are coming. Oh, it's scary. It's crazy. So, he called the protesters Dongulan... Something like that, which means like turmoil or rioting, and they said that the tiny minority was like causing riots. Okay. And I guess I guess these like terms that they were using had been associated with the Cultural Revolution, like murders and everything. Uh. So it was like really they chose the right words to get people like mm-hmm. really upset. So part of the publication read, "This is a well-planned plot to confuse people and throw the country into turmoil." Its real aim is to reject the Chinese Communist Party and the socialist system at the most fundamental level. We must explain to the whole party and nation that we are facing a most serious political struggle. We've got to be explicit and clear in opposing this turmoil. So really, it's just like the game of telephone. It's like these students outside being like, hey... We want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Please listen to us. Look at our petition. This is These are the things that we want. And the workers are being like, yeah, we want better salaries. We're tired of the inflation. Like, we need reform, and you need to listen to us. And then Lee's up there being like, oh, I heard that they don't really like you, yep. and they called you, like, ugly and stupid. And yep. then this other guy's like, oh, we need to, like, they're trying to overthrow the government. We need to, like, squash this now. They're trying to overthrow our fake socialism. <laughs> so this story in the People's Daily got the students really upset. Yeah. They were like, what the Because they're fuck? like, none of this is true. Yeah. We didn't do any of that. Yeah. We're literally just asking to be heard. How dare you, like, inflate all this? Mm-hmm. So the students felt that they couldn't end the protest after it was labeled with that term. Yeah. Because they thought that they would be prosecuted at this point. Right. So they're stuck in, like, a kept 22. Like, they can't leave... If they leave, then they're going to get, like, arrested or whatever. Or they think they will. And after, like, that whole editorial, like, maybe they would. So some 50,000 continued to press the case that patriotism motivated them and not hooliganism. Mm -hmm. And they're like, look, we really, we're proud of China. We love China. We just want our country to be better. Yeah, we just know we can get better. And that's the thing that really pisses me off, like, here in this country. It's like... Whenever I have something negative to say about the United States, then it's always met with like, oh, well, then why don't you leave? Yeah. And it's like, no, because I like point. it here, but we can be so much better. And that's the point of and like that's the, yeah, democracy and it's stuff. It's to improve. Is everyone should be able to speak up and uh-huh. say what's what's what, and then people should be able to like 
change. Change is and a good thing. And not stay quiet. Like, if you see something going wrong, don't yeah. stay quiet about it. Like, say something about it, and that should be celebrated. Yeah, people are like, so afraid of change. They are. People are terrified of change. So, um... So basically, the students are like, until you step back from that, like, oh, we're trying to overthrow everything, we can't leave because we're afraid that we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, because now. now you have dirtied our names, and anywhere we go now, we're gonna people are going to point at us and be like, those are the people that are trying to overthrow our government, and they hate us. Mm-hmm. And then the government was trapped by the story, too, because Dung had put his reputation on the fact that, like, the government was going to get the students to back down. Yeah. So they both, like, ego gets in the way, uh-huh. and they just, like, trap themselves. Well, more like he trapped everyone. hmm So, in April 27th, the editorial set off more demonstrations in other cities. In Beijing, one in ten of the population was joining in. Wow. One in ten. Wow. All of the old people, all the little children, so it was massive. Uh-huh. A foreign journalist, like, wrote about it at the time. Students from other cities poured into Beijing to join the protests, and other groups also joined in. So not just students now. It's, like, housewives, workers, doctors, even sailors coming from the Chinese Navy. Like, military personnel is coming in and joining in the protests. Damn. And it's, like, almost 250 cities in all at this point are protesting, So now it's getting out of hand for the government. Yeah, it's not just Beijing. It's, like, everywhere. So party leaders are aware of the growing foreign press coverage of the demonstrations. They done fucked up. But they're kind of split on how to stop the protests and get the students to return to classes. So General Secretary Zhao returned from North Korea to find China transfixed by the crisis. He still felt like the students were no real threat to the government. Mm-hmm. And... He was trying to diffuse the situation by urging Dung to recant the editorial. Mm-hmm. But Lee argued that to step back now would be a fatal show of weakness by the party's leadership. Oh, God, you can't be showing any weakness. You can't say that it's you're like, wrong. This, what, like, this one dude is, like, calling the shots and making everything, like, hell for everyone else because of his ego or whatever. Yep. It's like, step down. Yeah, like, is your ego that important that, like, you're going to put millions of people's lives at risk well and what is the government except for a representation of the people yeah. if all the people are telling you we want to change no. it's your responsibility but to it's fucking not. change but it's not because it's the people that are at the top they're the kings but the kings and queens bullshit. or whatever so they get you can't tell me what to do because i'm at the top and you're just down there at the bottom i'm the one in charge and i think that this should be a I well-oiled machine best. and we should just be making lots of money mm-hmm. and fuck you all and your human beings Oh, my God, Zephyr. <laughs> She's so cute. Okay, so May 4th, tens of thousands of students march into Tiananmen Square to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the 1919 May 4th movement, which also took place in the square. Mm-hmm. They pledged to return to classes the next day, but they ke- they intend to keep pressing for the reforms. Yeah. Zhao, in a speech to foreign bankers expresses support for the students' patriotism and essentially contradicted the government's editorial. Mm-hmm. And this made the senior party members angry. Of course. Because he was like, take it back. Like, we could end this peacefully, just take it back. And they're like, no. And then he like tells no, people... we didn't do anything wrong. They're the mean ones. Yeah. So May 5th to the 12th, many students return to classes and the movement is in flux. 
there's not really clear leadership happening, and certain factions plan more demonstrations and a hunger strike. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the tensions escalate within the party because the Soviet party secretary, Mikhail Gorbachev, is going to visit Beijing. Oh, God. So they're like, we can't be embarrassed by all these protests happening. Yeah. So Dong wants to settle things peacefully, but he insists that the students must be out of the square before Gorbachev arrives. Zhao, unable to convince the students to call off the demonstrations, starts to lose favor with the party's members, senior members. Mm -hmm. So May 13th, anticipating the Soviet party Gorbachev's visit, uh, sorry, party secretary Gorbachev's visit, about 160 students began a hunger strike in Tiananmen Square with Mm -hmm. the goal of getting the government to retract the editorial. One of the printed manifestos read, "The the nation is in crisis, beset by rampant inflation, illegal dealing by profiteering officials, abuses of power, corrupt bureaucrats, the flight of good people to other countries, and deterioration of law and order. Mm. Compatriots, fellow countrymen who cherish morality, please hear our voices. Sounds pretty reasonable. Over a thousand students took part in the hunger strike, which got widespread sympathy from like the general population Mm -hmm. they were like yeah they're they're saying things that we are saying too yeah most importantly like intellectuals start helping it's just like everyone like all the levels so the this foreign journalist said there's such a feeling in china about food because of thousands of years of famine that they've had so when the students went on their hunger strike it really moved people to tears the government met in an emergency standing committee session the following day. Zhao urged his fellow leaders to accede to the students' demands and withdraw the editorial. Yeah, like, it's not that hard. It's a simple request. Li Peng urged a crackdown instead. Mm-hmm. The standing committee was deadlocked, so the decision was passed to Deng. The next morning, he announced that he was placing Beijing under martial law. Great. Zhao was fired and placed under house arrest. Of course. And... So, Jiang Zemin succeeded him as general secretary. He was a hardliner. Great. So, um, and then Lee was placed in control of the military forces in Beijing. So, they're a real crack team. Great. Got a bunch of pouty toddlers who have access to weapons. and yep. um, Who are against students. Who are against... Just human beings yeah. trying to live and not die of starvation yeah. and fuck And try up to reform rules. the government. Yeah. So May 15th, Gorbachev arrives in Beijing for the first so- Sino-Soviet summit since 1959, but the hunger strike forces the government to cancel plans to welcome him in Tiananmen Square, because <laughs> obviously there's starving students in Tiananmen Square. His escort is blocked by protesters on nearly every street in Beijing, And then the journalist wrote, For the Chinese government, this was a big loss of face. Very scary. They were aware of what was happening in the Soviet Union, and so were the Chinese people, that the Communist Party in the Soviet Union was more or less imploding. The party leaders were very frightened in China. Yeah, because it's like, oh, you can't control your people. Mm -hmm. 
Well, in the Soviet Union, it's like they're struggling, and then they see like, oh my God, communism is struggling in China too. Yeah. Like so, like something's going on. Not like, not that oh we're wrong and should reform our government. Yeah. It's that oh no, we better get our guns, boys, and start taking over. Well, and not to say like communism doesn't work, but the way they're doing it, it's not communism. It's just like an authoritarian government once well, again. That's I mean, what communism they all are. can never work because you always have to have someone in charge. And in well, you can, but you have theory, to have people in charge. She, like don't want to be in charge. I, <laughs> I think it can never, work. Well, yeah. Anyway, George Washington didn't want to be in charge, and he did a good job being in charge. Okay. okay. <laughs> so May sixteenth, more than three thousand people are now participating in the hunger strike. So this is super embarrassing. Yeah. For the government and the political like leaders are even more like, Ugh. fuck this. Uh-huh. So during an emergency meeting. Zhao maintains that the way to end the strike is for the government to retract the editorial, accept the student's demand for dialogue, and begin reforms, which is originally what he wanted to do until Lee was like, oh, but they said they hated you and you have an ugly face or whatever. (laughs) Um, So he said, the vast majority of student demonstrators are patriotic and sincerely concerned for our country. We may not approve all of their methods, but their demand to promote democracy to deepen the reforms and to root out corruption are quite reasonable. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, he's the one that was always on their side. My bad. Um, but Lee insisted that the government cannot capitulate. He said, it's more and more clear that a tiny minority is trying to a use the- A tiny minority? Yeah, is trying to use the turmoil to reach its political goal, which is to repudiate the re- which is repudiation of Communist Party leadership and the socialist system. They're trying to take our place. They're trying to get us out of office. Their goals are to topple the Chinese Communist Party, to completely repudiate the People's Democratic Well, then maybe it's not working and we gotta do something else, also, you bonehead. Democratic dictatorship seems kind of like an oxymoron. But. I mean, it's kind of what we have going on here. So, May 17th, when the case is put to Deng, he decides against... Zhao's recommendations and proposes instituting martial law to end the hunger strike. The aim will be to suppress the turmoil once and for all and to return things quickly to normal, he said. This is the unshrinkable duty of the party and the government. Um, But he did say, I will submit to party discipline. The minority does yield to the majority. So May 18th, Zhao visits hospitalized hunger strikers and tries to convince them to call off their fast because he's like, I see what's happening in the government, you guys. It's not good. Just Mm -hmm. walk away. Afterwards, he apparently drafted a letter of resignation to the, like, political party, but I guess he, like, never sent it. So Lee holds a televised meeting with student leaders in the Great Hall of the People, and it ends without any progress. That evening, a meeting of party elders and, like, political members, including Zhang and Li Peng, approves the declaration of martial law. Zhao did not attend. May 19th, Zhao appears in Tiananmen Square as a final unsuccessful effort to appeal for compromise. Mm 
Early in the morning, he spoke through a bullhorn and told protesters, students, we came too late. We are sorry. You talk about us, criticize us. It is all necessary. The reason that I came here is not to ask you to forgive us. All I want to say is that students are getting very weak. It is the seventh day since you were on hunger strike. You can't continue like this. You are still young and there are still many days yet to come. You must live healthily and see the day when China accomplishes the four modernizations. Mm. You are not like us. We are already old. It doesn't mm. matter to us anymore. Wow. Which, yeah, yeah, right? Like these old ass people in Making political office. Making decisions for everyone when like nothing. Like, but it's such They can't bullshit. relate to anyone yeah. or anything that's going on. And they're just like, nope, we're right. Nope, nope, we're right. And you he's basically like, look, you guys are going to outlive them. Like, just yeah. keep, li like, be healthy, keep living, and soon you'll so be able die, to, like... Be in office. But, God, people are living longer these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, it was the last time he was ever seen in public. Uh-oh. So he was soon removed from office and replaced by the other douchebag. Student leaders called off their hunger strike. Instead, they staged a mass sit-in in Tiananmen Square that drew about 1.2 million supporters, wow. including members of the police and military and industrial workers. Damn. So they're declaring so martial like law, and the, the military is side. like, we're on their side. Uh. Yeah. So during the last week of May, tensions eased a bit and many of the student protesters from Beijing grew weary of the protest and left the square. However, reinforcements from the province continued to pour into the city. Hardline student leaders called for the protest to continue until June 20th when a meeting of the National People's Congress was scheduled to take place. That evening, Lee appears on state television to declare martial law. We must adopt firm and resolute measures to end the turmoil swiftly to maintain the leadership of the party as well as the socialist system. So May 20th, for the first time in 40 years of communist rule, the PLA troops attempt to occupy Beijing. A huge number of civilian protesters block their convoys on the streets. Beijingers that's what it Beijingers. Says. Beijingers begin a dialogue with the soldiers, trying to explain to them why they shouldn't be there. Yeah. You have these touching moments of people appealing to the army to join them and feeding them and giving them water and saying, you know, you could could be your son, could be your daughter. Mm-hmm. And you have these sort of doe-eyed, puzzled soldiers who are mostly country people, weren't experienced with big city life, just wondering what was going on here, not wanting to hurt anyone, mm. said someone who was there at the time. So the so since, like, I read another thing that said since, like, a lot of the military officers were on the side of the protesters and they were, like, in the protest, they just went to the countryside and, like, recruited these, like, random people oh, to come in and be part of, like, the military to, like, fire against their fellow, like, people. Yeah, and they're not used to questioning things out there. Just, well, like, they don't really, like you said, they don't really know what's going on. Yeah, they don't, yeah, so, like, it's like, oh, your, your government needs you to, like, do this thing and... They're going to equip you or whatever, and you're going to go do this whatever. They're going to ship you out to a city, and you're going to be what, you know, okay, well, it's my government. I guess that's what I got to do. So for almost three days, the soldiers were ordered not to fire on civilians, even if provoked. 
and they weren't able to reach the protesters in the square, and they were unable to, like, leave the city. So they're just, like, soldiers sitting there for three days, kind of like, what the fuck are we doing here? <sighs> they're not even trained soldiers either, huh? They're just, well, some I don't them... think a lot of them are. So May 24th, the troops are finally able to leave, but the government was, like, embarrassed mm-hmm. by this challenge to its power. The God, party it's leaders... Like, you're just prolonging the embarrassment. Yeah. You could have easily just... Slid it under the rug, been like, okay, I'll let you do your little protest, here you go, Say, speak your mind, move on, no one even has to know about it, it's not going to be publicized, and now it's blown way out well, of proportion. And also, think how celebrated they would have been if it's like, oh my god, these student protesters came out here, these workers, these like, you know, people from all walks of life came out here, they said, this is what we want from our government, you guys looked at it, and you made some changes. Yeah. Like, let's celebrate that. That would be like something amazing that everyone could get on board with. Instead... It's like these people come out, they're like, these are the things that we want. The government's like, la, 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 fingers in my ears, I can't hear you. And then the students are like, hello, like, listen to us. And then they're like, no, you guys are just trying to overthrow us. You're yeah. being bullies and we don't want to, like, whatever, whatever. It's just, like, bullshit. Yep. So this journalist said the party leaders feared that the whole edifice of communism was going to collapse. They needed to make a stand and a bloody stand to show their population and, in effect, to cow their population back into submission. So over the next week, the demonstrations continue, and Beijing operates with no real police presence and with virtually free press. So this is like over a month now that this is going on. In Tiananmen Square, the atmosphere is jubilant, but the government headquarters, Deng, is advising new offensive to end the protest. Armed troops will be sent in from every military district in the country. Oh, God. So on May 30th, the students set up a large sculpture called the Goddess of Democracy in Tiananmen Square. Mm -hmm. It was modeled after the Statue of Liberty, and it became one of the enduring symbols of the protest. Wow. So this person who was there at the time said, I think the leaders felt that they had been thwarted in the most obvious and humiliating manner. And the second time around, they brought in troops from far away who didn't have connections to Beijing, whose kids weren't in the square, mm-hmm. and they decided they would brook no obstacle. And they're like, oh, look, the, look at this huge group of people that are, like, violently protesting and, like, mm-hmm. threatening our government and our way of life. You just have to protect your your country and be, like, patriotic. Yeah, well, I mean, they're so violent, like, who knows? They might mm-hmm. come after you next. Yeah, you, know? you gotta shoot. So... Remember how the students were like, let's keep it going until June 20th? Yeah. So the Communist Party elders caught wind of the the fact that they were, like, going to protest for basically another month. Mm. And so they met with, like, the remaining members of their political standing committee, and they agreed to bring in the People's Liberation Army, or the PLA, to clear the protesters out of Tiananmen Square by force. Most hoped it could be done without casualties, but they weren't aware of what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. The morning of June 3rd, 1989, the 27th and 28th divisions of the PLA moved into Tiananmen Square on foot and in tanks, firing tear gas to disperse the demonstrators. They had been ordered not to shoot the protesters, and most of them didn't even have firearms. The leadership selected these divisions because they were from distant provinces. Mm-hmm. And the local PLA troops were considered untrustworthy because they were supporters of the protest. So not only the student protesters, but also tens of thousands of workers and ordinary citizens of Beijing joined together to repel the army. They used burned out bushes 
buses to create barricades through rocks and bricks of the soldiers and even burn some tank crews alive inside their Whoa. tanks. Shit. So the first casualties of the Tiananmen Square massacre were actually soldiers. Damn. The soldiers started firing on the unarmed civilians with AK-47s loaded with battlefield ammunition. Fuck. That night around 10.30 p.m., the PLA returned to the area around Tiananmen Square with rifles, bayonets fixed, and the tanks rumbled down the street firing indiscriminately. Well, yeah, with, like, an AK-47, too, it's not like you can be like, oh, that one person over there is firing at me, aim for that. No. It's like, you're just spraying bullets. You're spraying bullets. So students shouted, why are you killing us, to the soldiers, many of whom were about the same age as the protesters. Damn. Rickslaw drivers and bicyclists started through the, through the, like, craziness, rescuing the wounded and taking them to the hospitals. And in the chaos, a number of non-protesters were killed as well. Fuck. Throughout the night of June 3rd and early hours of June 4th, the troops beat, bayoneted, and shot protesters. Fuck. Tanks drove straight into crowds, crushing people and bicycles under their treads. At about 1 a.m., the PLA finally reached Tiananmen Square and waited for orders from the government. The soldiers had been told not to open fire, but they had also been told that they must clear the square by 6 a.m. With no exceptions or delays. Be like, you got to do it. Don't fire, but you have a deadline, no exceptions. So it's like, what are they supposed to do? Mm-hmm. So they make a final offer of amnesty in the f- if the few thousand remaining students will leave. At about 4 a.m., the student leaders put the matter to a vote. Leave the square or stay and face the consequences. So some eyewitness who was near the students said, it was clear to me that they... That they stay vote that the stay votes were much 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 stronger. Yeah, it's like okay, well we've come this far, and these people are clearly they don't care about human lives or any regard for us. So like fuck them, like we'll just whatever, like we're gonna stay till the end. Yeah, but then one of the student leaders at the time said that he called it as like the goes have it. Because I think for safety purposes, I think they saw what was happening. So yeah. they're like, all right, let's get out of here, everyone. Yeah. So by 6 a.m. on June 4th, 1989, the streets around Tiananmen Square had been cleared. Later that morning, some people, believed to be parents of the student protesters, tried to re-enter the square. And the soldiers ordered them to leave. And when they didn't, they opened fire, taking down dozens of people at the time. Shit. According to eyewitness accounts, the citizens seemed not to believe the army was firing on them with real ammunition. Like, yeah, they couldn't even yeah. process what was happening. Yeah, how could you process that? You're like, we're literally, we're here for a protest. Or we're here for our kids. Like, yeah. we're just trying to find our children. Yeah. After a little while, around 40 minutes, people would gather up their nerve again and would crawl back to the corner and start screaming at the soldiers, and then the commander would eventually give another signal, and they'd shoot more in mm. the backs, said a journalist. Damn. Um, and this went on more than half a dozen times in the day. When rescue workers try to approach the streets to remove the wounded, they too were shot. Fuck. So they can't even get people They're out just of there. bullets. No one knows for certain how many people died over the two days. The Chinese Red Cross initially reported 2,600, Holy then quickly shit. retracted that figure under intense pressure from the government. Of course. The official Chinese government figure is 241 dead, including huh. soldiers and right. 7,000 wounded. Right. Mostly soldiers. The, the the protesters were the ones killing the soldiers. They're after us. Yeah. Like, wow. Wow. You, like, you didn't want to be embarrassed. Now you're going to be fucking embarrassed. From 2,600 
people yeah. to 241 yeah. uh-huh. people. Uh-huh. It's like, okay. No. June 5th. So by the morning of June 5th, the army is in complete control of Beijing. But when all protests in the streets seem silenced, one final act of defiance happened. So about midday, I was like this line of tanks is slowly moving along the boulevard towards Tiananmen Square. An unarmed young man carrying shopping bags suddenly stepped out in front of the tanks. Instead of running him over, the first tank tried to go around, but he stepped in front of it again. Mm. They repeated this maneuver several more times before the tank stopped and turned off its motor. The young man climbed on top of the tank and spoke to the driver before jumping back down again. Soon the young man is whisked to the side of the road by an unidentified group of people and disappeared into the crowd. To this day, who he was and what became of him remains a mystery. A man named Charlie Cole snapped the iconic photo, and then he stashed the undeveloped film in his hotel room toilet. Yeah, because they're going to come after you and take all the evidence. So Cole was a photojournalist and was in Beijing on assignment for Newsweek. As he snapped the photos of the standoff, he feared the worst. Uh He said, I'm thinking this guy is going to be killed any moment now, and if he is, I just can't miss this. This is something that he's giving his life for. It's my responsibility to record it as accurately as possible. Yeah. So as he photographed the scene, he said that he noticed these Chinese public secretary bureau watching him through binoculars. So he had to act quickly to assure that his photos would make it out of China. So he said, I went in and took the film out of the camera and reloaded it into a plastic film can Mm -hmm. and went to the toilet. Took off the top of the toilet and put it in the holding tank, put the toilet top back on. About 10 to 15 minutes later, the Chinese Public Security Bureau broke through the door of his hotel room. The officers took a roll of film that Cole had shot from the night before, forced him to sign a confession that he had been photographing during martial law, and confiscated his passport. Wow, fuck that. He said they were pretty satisfied they'd cleaned up the situation. He returned to the bathroom a day and a half later to find that the film was still there. Luckily, no one had flushed the toilet, he said. (laughs) He had the film developed at the Associated Press office in Beijing, and the photo was transmitted to Newsweek in time for his deadline. Fuck. Since the photo of the tank man published... Um, the Chinese government worked diligently to keep them from surfacing. Of course. The official Chinese government figure was 241. God, what a fucking mess. Like, now they have to tie up all these loose ends to try and not let it get out of the country and let everyone see what a fucking mess they are when it could have just easily, easily been handled. If they had never written that thing, Mm -hmm. and then after they did write it, they just took it back? Yep. Nope. No. Bunch of cowards. So... Between soldiers, protesters, and civilians, it seems likely that anywhere from 800 to 4,000 people were killed. Fuck. The Chinese Red Cross initially put the toll at 2,600, based on counts from local hospitals, like I said, but then they retracted. Some witnesses also stated that the PLA carted away many bodies. I'm sure they did. That would not have been included in the hospital count. Sure. The protesters who survived the Tiananmen Square incident met a variety of fates. Some, particularly the student leaders, were given relatively light jail terms, less than 10 years. Many of the professors and other professionals who joined in were blacklisted, so they were unable to work. A large number of the workers and provincial people were executed. Exact figures are unknown. 
Chinese journalists who had published reports sympathetic to the protesters also found themselves purged and unemployed. Some of the most famous were sentenced to multi-year prison terms just for writing about the story and being sympathetic for the cause. It's disgusting. As for the Chinese government, June 4th, 1989 was a watershed moment. Reformists with the communist, within the Communist Party of China were stripped of power and reassigned to ceremonial roles. Mm-hmm. Former Premier Zhao was never re- rehabilitated and spent his final 15 years under house arrest. Shanghai's mayor, Jiang, who had moved quickly to like quiet the protesters in the city that replaced Zhao as the party's general secretary. Oh, yeah, he went. Okay, so since that time, political agitation has been extremely muted in China. Mm-hmm. The government and the majority of citizens alike have focused on economic reform and prosperity rather than political reform. Mm-hmm. Because the Tiananmen Square massacre is a taboo subject, most Chinese people under the age of 25 have never even heard about it. Wow. Websites that mention the June 4th incident, and that's in quotes, June 4th incident, are blocked in China. Yeah, because they control all the internet and stuff. And Earlier this year, four men in southwestern China were sentenced to up to four years in prison for selling Tiananmen-themed liquor bottles that evoked the image of the tank man. First of all, bad taste. Poor. The liquor had been maturing since 1989, the same year as the crackdown on the protest. I mean, that is, like, poor taste. But, uh, wow, this year they got arrested this year or earlier this year or something? Uh... Or whatever. Oh, yeah, whenever that was written. I don't know. But this year alone... Like, Hong Kong usually has, um, like, a remembrance, and this year, since China's been really cracking down on Hong Kong, they weren't allowed. They said Mm -hmm. it was because of the virus or whatever, but really, they don't want people to remember that this had happened. And so then there were people, there were, like, um, people, I think, from the United States, people who had, like, offices, they, like, had little candles in their windows who were, like, you know, diplomats or whatever, so they were, like, safe or who knows, but... And then I watched this documentary, like, a while ago where this guy was in China, and he was, like, interviewing the students around Beijing, and he it was, like, July... It was um, June 4th, and he was, like, do you know what day it is today? And some of them would be, like, yeah, it's June 4th, and he's, like, do you know what happened on this day? And some of them would kind of smile and be, like, no, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And then other ones would be, like, I know what you're talking about, but I can't talk about it. And they'd, like, walk away, and they'd, be like, what happened today? And he's, like, I can't talk to you. And they'd, like, walk away. They were, like, terrified yeah, to say anything. Yeah, because they could be murdered or put in jail. And, like, yeah. no one's going to say anything about that because apparently that's okay. That's so fucked up. Yep. So that was the Tiananmen Square massacre. God damn it. Fucking old men and their egos and their big ass egos Uh and it's like stop like stop with the ego bullshit. Get over yourself. You're disgusting. You're gross. Nobody likes you. You're a piece of shit. Get out. Also, the one that like was so fragile that the one guy was like, they want to overthrow you and they Mm -hmm. think you're gross and he's like. I need to write in the newspaper that they suck more than I do. It's and like, no one else can say anything. You guys all suck. Well, China's Communist Party is a tossed salad. Yeah. Uh, way to go, guys. You really fucked yourself over. We all know what happened. We all know. 
And leave Tibet and Hong Kong alone. Like, fuck off. Pieces of shit government, just like, uh... I'm so sick of, like, all the governments of the world just oppressing all the people. Like, yep. think about how advanced that we could be as, like, a human race If it was at about this point. advancing human If humanity, it was about, like, everyone being happy and taken care just, of. Con- uh, instead of just making money and... Which isn't even real. Being a well-oiled machine to pump out all these... Things to make money so that the rich can get richer Let's and the poor can get the poorer. Earth yep. To all live for this invisible thing that doesn't even isn't even real. Yep. As opposed to like actually all like living life to enjoy it, enjoying nature, supporting the earth. Ugh. And letting people be themselves. Yes. And not trying to control. And guess everything. what? If you don't like how someone's living their life, then don't be their friend. Yeah. Easy peasy. Like, leave them alone. Also, I mean, unless like, unless they're hurting someone. But, like, if you're no one's, if they're not hurting anyone and they're just living their best life, what's it to you? Leave them alone. And why can't we empower people that actually care about human life and... And the earth. Stop mm. ruining the earth. It's so fucking hot here. It's, it's so, so goddamn hot. hot. Thanks, global warming. But anyway... So goddamn hot. On that note... That's disgusting. Let's do some crime money sakes. And now for the portion that we like to call crime money sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Um, okay. <laughs> I have one from Times Now News. A man was almost charged with contempt of court after he turned up at a virtual court hearing with Buttfucker3000 as his username. (laughs) Nathaniel Saxton was appearing before Judge Jeffrey Middleton in St. Joseph Joseph Country in the U.S., state of Michigan for oh, a drugs charge. Michigan. Ouch. A video of the encounter has gone viral on social media. In the video, Judge Middleton asks him, "Good morning, sir. What's your name?" Saxon replies, "Nathaniel Saxton, sir." The judge said, "The judge says, "Your name's not Buttfucker 3000?" Oh my god. You yo you yoho logging into my court with that as your screen name. What kind of idiot logs into court like that? An open mouth Saxon tries to explain that he didn't type anything like that and apologizes. Middleton then puts Saxon in the waiting room for a while. Uh, time out. When, when Saxon was allowed to re-enter, he told the court that it was his sister who had changed his Zoom username, <gasps> claiming it to be a joke. Oh my god, Saxon, that's like the worst joke. Oh my god. Saxton, having fixed the name, said, I'm embarrassed, I'm sorry. Saxton was apparent was appearing before the court for possession of drug paraphernalia. Uh. He had initially pleaded not guilty to the charge. However, as he was found with the items, including oh, a used no. syringe that tested positive for meth oh, on his person, and the judge offered a lesser fine, he eventually decided to change to guilty, law and crime reported. He received a $200 fine. During the hearing, Judge Middleton asked, Is your sister there? No, unfortunately, she's not, replied Saxton. The judge warned, tell her she almost got you put in jail for contempt of court. Saxton then apologized once more. Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. If it really was his sister, that's so embarrassing. Buttfucker 3000. I would be so pissed. That seems like a sibling prank. I'd be so pissed.
Okay. In August 2011, Durango, Colorado resident Ron Cornelius awoke to the sound of a car smashing into his mailbox. Uh-oh. His neighbor's SUV had been broken into <gasps> and had traveled down the street into his yard. Uh-oh. To Cornelius' surprise, the getaway driver turned out to be a black bear. Oh my god. <laughs> While poking around searching for food, the bear had broken into the vehicle. The hungry bear had accidentally shifted the car into gear, sending it rolling down the driveway before clambering its way out of the car and leaving the scene. Luckily, neither the bear nor any of the car... Oh, uh, sorry. Neither the bear nor any of the Durango residents was hurt, but the car was pretty banged up. Between the shattered rear window, the nearly ripped out steering wheel, and the bear poo in the front seat, needless to say, the SUV had seen its last day on the road. The ba- yeah, bears will do a lot of damage to your car, but, oh, what is with animals and breaking and entering know, and driving so your car funny. away? It's it so is funny. so funny. So funny. Okay, I got another one. Okay. This one's just because you'll see why. This past December, a cafe in Costa Rica got an unexpected visitor when a hungry sloth <gasps> snuck past its gates I mean, in the middle of the night. Oh, okay. I was like, how is no one noticing a sloth well, sneak a, but in the middle of the night? Okay. The security cameras caught the creature's comically slow exploration of the counter area. <laughs> it lumbered up onto a chair and even casually twirled a spinning display rack. <laughs> oh. Eventually, the would-be burglar took a noisy tumble off the chair, <laughs> alerting security to its presence. The cafe's owners who released the sloth back into the wild got plenty of laughs from the incident. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like casually like it. looking through the oh display. Like, what I do can I just need? picture it. It's so mm. cute. They usually have fresh muffins here but there's nothing here to eat today. Mm. Oh man. It must have gone so slowly climbing up that chair. Okay, I have one. Okay. Since from the smoking gun. When Louisiana cops yesterday found a clear crystal-like substance inside a plastic Walmart bag in his pocket, John Combs did not claim it was a laxative or sugar or cornstarch. No, the 47-year-old Combs explained to police that the substance was salt, which he had used to treat an ingrown toenail. Oh. Turns out, it was methamphetamine. <laughs> That's quite the treatment. <laughs> so if you want a nice salt soak, you should check out Humble Bee Herbal. Mm-hmm. They have a lovely little salt soak you put in your bath. Foot. They foot. have a whole foot box. You can get like the whole foot care if you have ingrown toenails and like this man like to carry around salt with you. You don't have to do that anymore. No. You can have it at home, get it delivered, this little great box of a foot soak and a salve and the whole package. So check out Humble Bee Herbal for all your, well not all your, for your foot soaking needs. <laughs> Use code CRIMINY20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's HumbleBeeHerbal.com, code CRIMINY20 at checkout. Get 20% off your foot soak. Do it. Don't use, don't soak your foot in meth water. No, I don't think you're that'd be as fine, your foot might clean a whole house. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We will... Speak at you in a week. Not next week, the week after. Rate, review, subscribe. Email us at crimeanypodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram at crimeanypodcast. And we will speak at you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.